So I'm Vic Sharma, I'm the founder of Cake Wallet, and Faces, so thank you very much uh, for coming, uh, coming to this meetup. This is the Monero uh, New York City meetup. Uh, Doug and I started this back in January 2018, pretty much when Cake Wallet launched, and we were doing a lot of events, a lot of parties, going to a lot of conventions, and of course the pandemic, or some of you said pandemic, happened. <laughs> and, uh, um, and we stopped, so this is the first one uh, we're having. Um, there are other groups in New York. Matt just started another New York uh, meetup for Monero. A little more casual, more, you know, hang out, drink, talk type of thing, which is a lot of fun. Thank you for that. Um, so tonight, um, we will talk about um, a couple things. Um, first is going to be we're having, as everyone knows, there's a Monero fork happening on Friday. Uh, we like to call it a network upgrade, which is going to have a lot of uh, cool new features and improvements on Monero to make it more private, make it faster. Uh, especially as a wallet maker, we're pretty excited about the faster part. Justin's going to talk about that. And after that, Justin's going to do a demo of our newest feature in Cake Wallet and Monero.com, which is Cake Pay. Which is the. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it's very exciting to uh, work on this and, and launch it as well. Um, Justin drove the integration, which is great. Um, so, we'll talk about that. Uh, Justin will do a demo on that as well. Uh, then, we'll do a short QA if you want to talk, uh, ask any questions about Monero, Fork. About Cake Wallet or Cake Pay, feel free to ask questions. Um, right after that, we're going to have the star of the evening, which is Luke. He is going to be talking about um, Sarai uh, Decentralized Exchange. Uh, Luke is the lead developer. Sarai Decentralized Exchange is going to be built uh, on a liquidity pool model, kind of like Uniswap, unlike Atomic Swaps, which are person to person, peer to peer. So I'm very excited to be here about that. That's going to be amazing. And it's being built with Monero in mind. It's being built for Monero, unlike, yep. I, I won't say others. So yeah, so let's get started. Uh, again, really, thanks for coming. This is a, a great turnout. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. Excellent. All right, here we go, Justin. Thank you, Hello everyone, I'm Justin. You may remember me online when I looked much younger, clearly, um, from Breaking Monero, which is a series all about finding Monero's limitations and talking about why Monero sucks. Well, today I'm here to talk about one thing Monero is doing to get less sucky, which is the Monero 0.18 hard fork that is happening in its three days, as, as Vic mentioned. 
A hard fork is a very important network upgrade for Monero's future. Monero needs to enforce proper standards on the network so that all transactions blend together. That's how it gets its privacy. We don't want people using 500 different versions of the software and 7,000 different ring sizes and things like that. So in order to enforce the best practices that we know of today that are the best set of trade-offs, Monero is undergoing the hard fork in just a few days. Uh, so you need to make sure you update your Monero nodes to 0.18 right now, whenever you can. We already pushed out the Apple update to KCallit, so we're waiting on Apple to approve that, but it is expected to be approved tomorrow, so you guys can update your KCallit and Monero.com apps. They're both submitted. Um, but just a quick summary, uh, transactions are getting faster to scan on your phone, they're getting uh, faster to verify, and they are also getting more private. So on the first one, faster to scan on your phone, view tags will reduce scan time. You open your app, you see synchronizing, on uh, either mobile or desktop, that will be about 30% faster, and the benefits are actually seen even more so on very old or very slow connections. So if you have a very, very fast phone, it will still be faster, and it will still save you battery and things like that, but especially if you're using an older device, you will see you know, the full range of benefits, so it's really, really awesome. U-Tags are really a huge enhancement in order to speed up scanning on wallets where you keep the view key for your greatest privacy. Then it has Bulletproofs Plus, which is an improvement over Monero's current Bulletproof scheme. These have been audited several times. It's just a more efficient way of doing the same thing as we currently do about hiding the amounts. Just more efficient, no trade-offs whatsoever. All we do is take the privacy gain, or the, sorry, efficiency gain. And then finally, ring sizes are going up. The largest absolute amount in Monero's entire history from 11 to 16. Uh, those are, you know, ring sizes are what you, you, you use ring signatures to hide the real source of funds that are being spent with Monero by obfuscating it with other fake or decoy sources of funds. Again, this is completely non-interactive, which is important in light of recent events, perhaps. Um, <laughs> so uh, that is really good because Monero's privacy is going up on that side, and like I said, it's the largest absolute increase ever in a single Monero upgrade. So we're really, really excited to see that, and that will be rolled out to every single wallet that is out there. So make sure you update your nodes, make sure you have automatic updates enabled so you will continue to use Monero after the update. Sadly, if you are using a Ledger or Trezor device, they are behind, so you'll have about a week or so before they update their wallet to, to function. You will have to restore your funds on another wallet using the, using the mnemonic seed if you want to spend them in that short window. So they aren't ready, they're a little late, but they're, they're working on it. You guys will be able to use Ledger and, and Trezor after. Uh, but I want to quickly introduce CakePay. How many of you have already heard of CakePay? All right, so about half of you. Awesome. CakePay is something that we, Vic and I are extremely excited about, and it makes it so much easier, no matter what state you're in in the United States, to spend your Monero and Bitcoin and Litecoin, but this is the Monero meetup, of course. Um, so it, I'm just going to demo it for you today, but this is available in CakeWallet and Monero.com right now. We just launched it last week. And it allows you to instantly use Monero to purchase gift cards that work at over 150,000 merchant locations, including in the state of New York. Uh, they only require an email in order to sign up, no other account sign-up process, just your email, that's it. You can instantly purchase the exact amount you need. So if you're checking out and the bill is $5.68, you can pay $5.68 or $420.69, for example. Uh, they're delivered immediately. You don't need to sit around waiting for a while. It takes literally about three seconds to get the app. We'll see how good the connection is here, but we'll, we'll demo it. 
It works online and in store, and you save one to three percent on every single merchant that's listed in the application. So you no longer have an excuse to say, oh, well, I need to use my credit card cash back or whatever. Use Monero, get the same cash back or even more than you would with a, a traditional credit card. So I'm here to demo it real quick for you guys. Um, and after I demo, we're actually going to show a video about uh, a certain someone. Oh, goodness. Let's see. Sorry, I have to I have to use a convoluted setup here in order to, uh, let's see. Here we go. All right. Sorry. Nothing's coming. All right, there we go. All right, so. Nothing's coming. Oh, the whole thing died. This is why we don't press technology. Should be a second here. All right, so on the left there you can see this is just screen sharing my show phone. It's a little delayed. It won't be as live in real life. But from the home screen, if you have the latest version of CakeBot or Monero.com, you swipe left to right to get to this marketplace section, which includes Cake Pay gift cards. You click on it. Normally, you have to sign up with an email. Again, email only. That is it. Let's, and I'm going to go through a checkout process using Monero. This also works just as fast for Bitcoin and Litecoin. So let's say I wanted to shop at Subway. I just searched for Subway. I click it. I only save 1% here. But let's say, you know, footlongs are no longer $5. You know, they're more like uh, $7.85 or something. I can type in the exact amount I need. For example, $7.85 there. I can continue. If I needed to add a tip, this is not a tip to Vic and I, you know, even though that would be great. It's not. This is just meant to more easily show, like, help you calculate a tip if you are paying a merchant that you know, we traditionally pay a tip. So you can add an additional amount. Just for the sake of demo, I'll add 15%, but it would work with 0% if you want. And I'm just going to click Purchase Gift Card, and you're going to see how easily this works. So I click Purchase. We wait for about three seconds or so. I click OK to confirm sending. And if I have a good internet connection, oof, <laughs> shocker. Let's see, let's try again. It usually works. Oof, let's, let's try, oof, this, this always happens, doesn't it? Let's try, let's try another mention. It's definitely somewhere. It's really somewhere. All right. It might be. Oh, oh no, this is tragic. This is tragic. This is going to happen to all of you while you're trying to check out. Oh, here we go. Okay, thank God. All right. There we go. That's how it's supposed to work. Okay? So if you look stupid, just keep retrying. All right? But the benefit is, this is a real gift card for the exact amount you need. So for example, this is a gift card number. Someone can specifically scan this barcode or QR code in a store, and it completes a payment as needed. And almost every single merchant in the United States has some form of gift card system, and so this allows you to use your cryptocurrency to immediately purchase the exact amount you need for in the gift card for a real purchase, or you can, of course, buy more and spend it over time. If you like, you don't only have to use it once. But you can see here, I can just have an Adidas store have it scanned and run from there. This works for over 150,000 merchant locations today. So yeah, you're gonna have to buy something from Adidas. Yeah, you know, now, now I have a $5.87 thing. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna expense a pair of shoes that we'll see what happens. Um, but that's how it's supposed to work. So everyone, uh, you can use this today. And the best thing is, unlike converting Monero for US dollars, which would usually re rely on a MSB regulated exchange, 
this is not, you know, buying and selling gift cards, a product is not something that's regulated in the same way, which is why we're able to do it with just an email. So this really reduces the amount of regulatory burden you're gonna have to introduce yourself to when you're actually using the narrow effect. So we're really, really proud to offer this. Our plan is to expand to other countries as well. We're working on expanding to over 30 countries in addition to the United States, but it's awesome we started in the US. The next one is most likely Canada and adding more and more merchants from here. So we're really, really excited to show you this. Now, real quick, I'm going to show a certain someone that some of you may know um, that has been using Cake Pay and is very excited about it. And you're going to see their video up in a, you know, very shortly as well. So let's play this without further ado. Can you use cryptocurrency for an entire day on a road trip? We're here in Redwoods and we are about to spend the rest of the day only spending crypto with CakePay. CakePay from Cake Wallet allows you to buy gift cards from over 150,000 merchants in the US, all with Monero, Bitcoin, or Litecoin, all inside the same app, and all you need is an email. This all sounds fantastic on paper, but Cake Wallet said we'll sponsor you guys to try it out, and here we are, and we're gonna find out if it's actually that easy to use. Alright, we're just going to do delivery. For those who follow my personal Mastodon, you'll know I have certain 
dietary restrictions. Payments. Yes, I have a Domino's gift card or promotional card. Okay, so I checked the box. Now let's actually get one. And this is another 3%. So we get 3% off this order just because we're using KPay instead of paying normally. Confirm sending, awaiting payment confirmation, and we got ourselves a gift card. Balance due, $0. And we are good to go. Pizza's on the way. I'm hungry, so that's a quick. Meanwhile. So I thought this was actually a fitting end to our day because I'm sure everyone's heard of the Bitcoin pizza story before. So I just thought, hey, what would happen if we ordered Domino's with some Monero? Monero cheese pizza. Monero pizza. Nice. Freedom pizza! I'm finally home for my trip and I want to kind of summarize KitPay. With just an email, you can now, with over 150,000 merchants in the US, very conveniently, and in many times it's cheaper than using cash, use cryptocurrency at your favorite retailers. So I've never been someone who um, actually believed I would ever want to use Monero or anything like that day to day, but this actually incentivizes me enough to actually consider it, especially knowing for some of the places I shop at, I can save 3% of my money on that, which is more than probably even some credit cards will ever give you. So. I'm very incentivized to use it. I believe I will be moving over to this a lot more often. I don't know if I'll be 100%, but like, I, I, I genuinely think this has been so cool. So I really want to thank Kate Wallet for sponsoring this. I was genuinely impressed going through this whole journey. Um, that was it, everybody. If you're ever in California, I highly recommend seeing the Redwoods. It is truly an eye-opening experience. If you've never seen them before, it really is magical and it's a beautiful experience. Um, see you all next time on TechWork. Thank you all for going along on this journey. All right, we actually had some backstory. Thank you, thank you. Quick backstory, Henry's known for having pretty crazy hair. And uh, he's like, what if I got a haircut with this? And sadly, we don't really support any haircut merchants, but they're up next because people clearly need to cut their hair sometimes. So, myself included. All right, so that's us for Cake Wallet. Thank you so much. I encourage you to check out Cake Pay. Cake Wallet and Monero Common are open source and non-custodial, so there's no real catch to use it. So uh, we encourage you to, but I'm now going to hand it off to Luke, who's going to be talking about Sarai, which is a really, really exciting text at Cake Wall, very, very interested in integrating with. So Luke, off to you. Thank you. Um, so it's definitely a pleasure to be here. Um, Gotta take a second to get composed, I guess. So basically, I'm here to talk about Sarai, as Justin was kind enough to say, and I believe very interested in integrating with is a bit different from has already publicly committed to doing so, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarai, of course, is a decentralized exchange for Monero, but also Bitcoin and Ethereum. <laughs> and just to get things started, I like to do my presentations really as a full stack, goes from the bottom to the top so everyone's on the same page. Um, so just to get started with who am I, because a lot of you probably don't know me. Um, Kayaba, or Kayaba Nerve online. So if you're ever on IRC, Matrix, sometimes even Reddit, that might be how you know me. Or Luke, if you prefer something a bit more pronounceable. I'm the lead developer of Sarai, as Vic said. Lead developer, it's kind of just the title I chose. When you create a project, you can kind of choose anything. But we're not trying to create a corporate structure where I get to say I'm the CEO, I'm the owner. No, we're trying to create a project that can be given back to the community, and not just Monero's, but a variety of that. So I call myself lead developer because 
I have admin rights over the GitHub, that part's still centralized, but it's something that a lot of people can participate in, and I hope someday to just be prolific developer. Uh, as a bit more background, I'm also a Magic Monero Fund committee member. That's always something I like to say because Magic deserves a lot more attention. It's a 501c3 charity which raises money to fund Monero development. And then finally, uh, just to give a bit of my history, I also did the first Monero Tommy Swap. So I do have some experience with decentralized exchange technology in general, and I really do believe in Monero's and cryptocurrency as a whole goal of being a trustless and verifiable system, and I love Atomic Swaps for doing that. So, just to give a bit of background, starting with what is, or what are decentralized exchanges. There are platforms that allow you to exchange coins, trade them, without a centralized party. So instead of me going to Kraken, or me going to, or going to Coinbase, I would say, hey Vic, you want to trade some coins? Okay, thanks then. Doug, you, yeah. Or potentially, I could go to Uniswap, a smart contract on Ethereum. Because they're not reliant on a centralized exchange, they're much harder to interfere with. No one can really stop me and Vic from meeting up in private, and no one can stop me from calling a contract on Ethereum. But it's not a decentralized exchange just if me and Vic meet up in hand over cash for crypto. I mean, sure, it's technically a peer-to-peer -peer exchange, but the other aspect of decentralized exchanges is the security of them. When you do an atomic swap, when you do a contract call to Ethereum, your trade is guaranteed. So some common examples are Uniswap, as I've stated. There's also BIS, which I'll get into a bit more in uh, the slide after the next, and atomic swaps. So this is how they get to be different and kind of where we start seeing the flexibility with decentralized exchanges. Uniswap uses liquidity pools, yet it's also, so it's also native to Ethereum and only handles Ethereum assets. If the question is, when is Monero going to be on Uniswap, the question is, no one that's going to be answered. We can't magically make it in our 20. That said, because it's an Ethereum contract, it's run by Ethereum and guaranteed by Ethereum. There's no security reduction. If we did want to list XMR, it would have to be a wrapped XMR, and like wrapped Bitcoin, that involves some corporation or centralization. And that's not really here for decentralized exchanges, that's some DeFi garbage that people are trying to get Monero divided into. <laughs> so then BIS, it's one of the oldest decentralized exchanges, and it actually does have Bitcoin and Monero markets live, and it does offer decentralized rates. It uses a order book. I sign up, I say hi, I have Bitcoin, and I want five Monero of Bitcoin, or whatever the numbers are. And someone else can come and say, I want to take up this specific order, and I will do this trade with you. And when that happens, uh, no third party is involved. If I'm doing a this trade with Vic, who I don't know is Vic, I just know it's another person on this, no one else is involved. We create a two out of two multi-sig, which is a cryptographic instruction. That said, it's not an atomic swap. Well, this is looking into it. As of right now, we create a multisig with the condition that if I don't pay Vic, it falls back to this DAO, who then decides where the funds go. So practically, this, or Vic and I will complete our trade, and if we don't, I can say, hey, Vic must have fell asleep. Uh, I need my money. Can you vote on this and give me my money? And this has created a successful market 
and it supports a variety of coins accordingly, even fiat, because all it needs to do is lock up Bitcoin and then the users agree some other payment happened. The issues with it is that one, the security aspect, you're running to the DAO after I believe a week of time if there's ever an issue. And then two, beyond the security concerns, it also has struggled to find liquidity over the years. Despite being one of the oldest DEXs, I believe they did a few hundred thousand dollars in peak volume either a day or per month back in kind of the peak of the bull run we were just on. And that's really not comparable to Uniswap, which I believe had a billion dollars in value over some of the It's really just not comparable. And then finally, we have atomic swaps, which if we're discussing decentralized states, do form a gold standard to refer to. And I say to refer to for a specific reason. They cryptographically guarantee the trade will happen. If Vic and I do an atomic swap, it doesn't matter if he goes to sleep. I don't have to go ask someone else a week later to get my funds. I either will complete the swap with Vic or I get my money back. It's that simple. And it's a really strong thing that I believe in. And there's a reason I wrote an implementation a while ago. They're also used in an order book system where I say I have Bitcoin and I want Monero, here's my price, and anyone else is willing to take it. And because it's cryptographically guaranteed, no third party can access your funds. It's the ultimate decentralized system. There's two issues, however. One, networks have to have certain requirements. These requirements have been broken down over the years. It used to be that Monero couldn't do atomic swaps, and then two years ago, or one and a half years ago, we had Monero do atomic swaps. So atomic swaps do support most networks nowadays, but there still are certain conditions. If you want to do Bitcoin and Monero, that's fine, but if you want to do Monero and Wownero, that isn't fine. You have to have a Bitcoin middleman, so there are still some conditions here. The part I want to highlight, though, is that atomic swaps are still in an order book system. So while they're great to refer to and they form a gold standard for security, they have a similar UX to BISC, which has failed to achieve user value, unfortunately. So this brings us to what Sarai tries to do to solve this, trying to compete with the gold standard of security, as I keep saying, but it also provides something users want to use, are willing to use, and aren't scared away from. And we do this by trying to provide a combination of user experience, security, and flexibility. So we do use liquidity pools, and that offers a few different benefits. So with liquidity pools, you don't have to run a node, and that's really the main advantage. If we're just, or really with the multisig, which is my next bullet point, sorry. But we also have a multisig to back with liquidity pools, and it's maintained by financial and bonded validators. So let me retract for a second, I'm sorry. The multi-sig is maintained by financially bonded validators, which means the multi-sig will be secure. Because it's a multi-sig, you can say it's held by the Sarai network, you can say the Sarai network is a third party, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. But because the multi-sig is maintained by financially bonded validators, they really can't steal from it. Yes, it's another person holding the funds, or another network entity, whatever, but if they take the funds in it, they lose their bond, which exceeds the value of the multi-sig. Why would you steal if you have to pay more than it, you get from stealing? And it's an economic game theory model which Sarai is premised on. Because we use a multi-sig, we're able to take in user funds, and users don't have to run a node. If you want to offer trades on this, keyword being offer, or you want to offer trades with atomic swaps, you have to run a node 24-7. 
and most users aren't able to do that. I'm sure quite a few users would be willing to, but you have to know how to set up a Linux server. You have to know where to get a VPS from. You have to know what scripts to run to set it up. You have to monitor it, and it's a large ordeal. By having a multisig, we're able to abstract away all those requirements to focus on user experience. And then we support any network that our validators are willing to list. So with atomic swaps, me and the other person, or the other person and I, we just have to have some code that agrees we can do Bitcoin, we can do Litecoin, we can do Monero, whatever, and that's the day. That we call it a day. With BISC, it's similar. We just have to have some software that agrees on the points we're dealing with. With Sarai, we need the validators who are maintaining the multisig to agree on the points. So it's a bit more restrictive there, but considering if we're discussing atomic swaps, someone still has to code in support for the various points, and if someone codes in support for a point for Sarai, yeah, we're probably more likely to listen. It's not a restriction I think will end up mattering too much. So in comparison to atomic swaps, yeah, they are great for large trades. I'm kind of showing atomic swaps in the presentation I'm supposed to be showing Sarai because they're truly great for large trades. If you want to have $5 million being traded, I don't want to risk that. Do you want anyone else to be able to touch that? Thankfully, I'm not trading $5 million. But <laughs> atomic swaps would guarantee that. But even if you're not offering a swap, which requires you to run a node, participating in a swap takes tens of minutes. Because if you do an atomic swap, you have to lock up your Bitcoin, you have to wait for the confirmations, and only once it's locked can you continue with the next step. So it's not just offerers who force into a VPS structure where they have to run a server and make sure it's online, but even users who just want to open an app, do a swap and log out, they're now required to keep their laptop open, keep the app open, keep their network online, not lose power for tens of minutes. This is a point I actually covered earlier. Um, and truly, this has existed for years, and it doesn't have atomic swaps, yet it has a comparable user experience with comparable principles on the timing around swaps, and Uniswap beats it. Almost every other DEX out there on Ethereum beats it, which is very unfortunate because BISC is the one that's cross-chain. Commit also did do proper atomic swaps. BISC isn't my only data point here because obviously one is an isolate, but when Commit launched atomic swaps as a proof of concept, People had to run nodes, and Seth, great guy, uh, Seth for privacy to use his full handle, uh, they ran an atomic swap server, and I believe they were the largest market maker, at least for a while with regards to atomic swaps. I think they only got a few thousand dollars of trades because it just wasn't worth the hassle. When the community saw atomic swaps, they respected the technology, they respected the censorship resistance, but when it came to actually do a swap, they preferred to go to Whatever people are using nowadays, I don't want to say the wrong exchange and find out it's wrong, but instant exchangers I hear, there's Majestic Bank, I don't know. <laughs> so I've said liquidity pools a few times, but I haven't really expanded on what they are. So unlike an order book where it's a set number of coins at a set price and you pick a specific order, liquidity pools are defined with two assets. They're added to the pool equivalently in a balanced state, and this forms a ratio. So instead of saying, oh, I'm going to list five Monero for 10 Bitcoin, or whatever prices we're using today, you say, hi, I have five Monero, and I have one Bitcoin. I'm going to add them both to the pool. And now that five Monero is considered worth one Bitcoin, and that one Bitcoin is worth five Monero. 
So when you go to do a trade, it will look at what the ratio is, and it will say, okay, if you're adding in one Monero, well, we have five Monero in the pool, so you're increasing the Monero depth by 20%. What's 20% of the Bitcoin? It's not quite that linear, but it's the simplest explanation. Because all the funds in the pools are used when trading, not just a specific order, deep liquidity becomes incredibly accessible though. Instead of having to specify 10 orders, create 10 different connections, enter into 10 different Bitcoin transactions to do an atomic swap, nope, you just send your funds to the pool and it's like, okay, I'll send you back your money. It merges all orders into a single book and it just removes a lot of the complexity. And there's no question of, oh, is this a buy wall? Is this a sell wall? Has this been pumped up? because there truly is the assets in the pool to create a balanced state at that price. Really, it just greatly simplifies the UX, which is what Sarai is trying to do here. So the other part of Sarai that it's built on, which I talked about a bit earlier, is multi-signature wallets. So to go into a bit more detail there, multi-signature wallets, in pure principle, just allow a group to form a wallet where multiple people have to sign off on specific transactions. There's also threshold multi-sig wallets, where instead of saying, hi, I have a board of directors, there's five of us. All five of us have to approve transactions to spend funds. We just say, well, we have a company, it's a majority vote. If three of the board of directors says, yeah, let's spend these funds, we can do that with just three people. Or in my slides here, I believe I use seven and 10 for whatever reason. So threshold multi-sigs, they just don't require the entire group to sign off, they only require a specific amount. So this could be just from a governance standpoint, requiring however much of a board to vote. It could be the security, where I don't want to get hacked, so I have someone else sign off on my transactions as needed. Or it could be about backing up wallets. I might have a wallet completely by myself, but I might give my three closest friends a threshold multi-sig of them. So my closest friends, if needed, could recover my wallet. So Sarai uses a multi-sig because it allows the Sarai network to hold the funds, removing the requirement for users to run their notes. But by using a threshold multi-sig, we remain secure even if we have a few malicious participants. We can have up to a third of our network turn evil, and they still can't affect the Monero. They still can't touch the Bitcoin. They're just gonna sit there and do nothing. And we'll kick them out and we'll continue living. That's how life is. <laughs> And it also just supports nodes going offline unexpectedly. They don't have to be evil. The human world isn't perfect. We can have servers go offline. I think Justin can speak a bit to that. <laughs> and threshold multi-sig support that because instead of saying, okay, well, we're gonna wait for your server to come back online. Let's give it a couple of tries. It's going to say, okay, let's try someone else. We got your busy right now. So it really just creates a robust system for managing funds that should hold them securely and could simplify user requirements. And this leads to the question, how are people selected? This is just this entire room here is going to hold millions of dollars of funds. And this isn't USDT. It's not going to be me in a room. I'm not saying, Vic, Justin, okay, three of us, just us. You know, we're controlling all of it. We're going to mint all the Monero. I thought that's the plan. Vic, talk about this. That's the quiet part. <laughs> So the multi-sig participants are validators, that's what we call them, due to their role elsewhere. And they earn their position by providing a financial bond, which the financial bond means it's just more expensive to steal, as I highlighted earlier. And the bond, the bond is in the form of a new token 
SRI, which I'll probably just pronounce as SRI from now on. And this leads to the question, why a new point? Because this is a Monero meetup, and we all like Monero, and can't we just use Monero, please? Um, so if we did bond Monero, let's say Vic wants to walk in, he got those bags. You know, there's only 18 million Monero, but Vic has 20 million somehow. And he wants to provide security for this new network. Vic, you're a hero, you're a saint, we all love you. Um, so, Vic wants to add 20 million Monero. Okay, where do we hold that? Um, well, we can't have Vic hold it, he was already holding it. It actually has to be bonded. We can't hold it in the multi-sig, because Vic is the multi-sig if it's just him. And if Vic steals it, he's just stealing his money back. He's not actually losing anything. So we could lock it with me, but then I'm just holding everyone's funds. This is just a centralized exchange all over again. If we use Sarai, a new coin, we can program it so the Sarai is removed from Vic's wallet if he misbehaves, or from any multi-sig operator. By using a new coin, we just introduce programmability that allows us to enforce punishments. And it's kind of disappointing, but it's also what we needed. Uh, there were a few proposals involving Ethereum, but oh my gosh, they were so bad. I give it that they technically worked, and that is all I want to say on the matter. <laughs> so what does this end up looking like? Because if we're talking about the end user experience, what all of you in this room are going to be looking for when you go to use Sarai, if you ever do, I hope so. Um, if you want to do a swap, you grab a compatible wallet. I, I hear cake wallet, may or may not be. Um, and you just send your Monero into the Sarai network. You say, hi, I, I have one Monero, I want some Bitcoin. You send it in, you can turn off your phone, you can smash it with a brick, you can unplug your router, you can burn your credit cards. Don't, but you can. And 20 minutes later, you'll have Bitcoin to the address you specified. You have no requirements, you don't need to keep online, and if for some reason your trade doesn't go through, if the price is shifted too much, we'll just return your phones minus the gas fee. <coughs> or transaction fee for Monero and Bitcoin. Sorry, I'm a bit used to Ethereum terminology despite loving Monero. If you want to provide liquidity, because this is the other advantage, you don't have to run a node if you just want to offer trades, earn some trading fees, help provide an ecosystem, and help bring people into Monero. If you want to provide liquidity, you don't have to do that. You can go into compatible wallets and you would add your Monero. When you add it, it is liquidity pool, so it needs both Monero and Sarai. So you would either have to already have Sarai or swap for it, or we will have some Genesis procedure, which I'll get to in a moment, and you'll just be able to earn trading fees off of that. And you're not going to have to keep your phone online, you're not gonna to have to get a server, you'll be able to add liquidity and serve earning trading fees. And then if you want to run a validator, if you want to participate in the multi-sig, you want to secure this, you want to enable Sarai to grow, and you want to get some of that block reward, uh, you can bond Sarai as well and run a node. We're not limiting it. It's not USDT, it's not some corporate bank whitelist. So regarding competitors, this is a bit different from discussing BISC, atomic swaps, so on, because well, sure, you can say any decentralized exchange is a competitor or any form of that. There are a couple other protocols who have designs which much more similarly match your eye, namely Thorchain and Chainflip. Uh, Chainflip's lesser known, I, they haven't launched yet, they're not open source. I wanted to include them because they existed. Uh, and then Thorchain has launched and I believe has promised a Monero integration for a year and a half, 
Justin, you might be able to share more. A while. <laughs> yeah. And that's still a work in progress. I, I also have other poems there for after, but. So Sarai offers cryptographic improvements, which bit mathematical, bit techie, but I'll get into, and also protocol level improvements. And then it's also just meant to be fairly distributed. We're not going to do an ICO. We're not going to sell out to the next VC that walks in. We're not discussing a seed round. We're not doing that. We want a coin that, even if it's not airdrop to Monero holders, for some reason I can't find the rich list anywhere. I don't know who to send money to. Um, it is still meant to be a community coin. And while it is a new community, it is meant to be representative of the Monero community. And we want to support Monero. So yeah, none of, no one else is really doing that. So regarding cryptography, uh, we use something called Frost. And it's a threshold multi-sig protocol specifically for Schnorr signatures. And Schnorr signatures are just kind of a very simple way to do a signature uh, within cryptocurrency. And most cryptocurrencies at this point support it in one way or another, Monero being one of them. It's a lot faster than other schemes. I believe, there are a few numbers I can quote here, I think I'll hold them in. And it also just relies on much simpler premises. Instead of doing convoluted tricks which have been built over the years, instead of, I know this one protocol which uses two kilobyte prime numbers randomly generated when Monero keys are just 32 bytes, there's very long histories of very tricky things I'm very happy I don't have to do here. But it's also not only simple, it's not only reviewed, it's not only efficient, but it's even undergoing standardization by the IETF. And Sarai actually has the privilege of being the only listed library that's on the latest version, and we support the most curves of anyone working with this, except for the reference implementation they provided in something called Sage. So, it's really just a great scheme, and we're happy to be participating in its development and its formalization and offering an implementation not just for us, but to anyone who needs this technology. Then on a protocol level, because sure, cryptography, that's more of a me thing, I guess. Um, we're working on per block finality. This means, even though I don't endorse it, if you wanted to use Sarai as a currency, if I send money to Vic, we're not waiting 20 minutes for confirmations. Nope. Six seconds, we get a block, that's final. And that also means that if any trades occur, they're settled. If you have Monero coming in, you have Monero coming in. We're not waiting around on the Sarai side of things. We're also removing the traditional voting scheme uh, with Ethereum bridges and with other protocols such as Thorchain and Chainflip. When they say, hi, our multi-sig received Bitcoin, we need to tell the chain we received Bitcoin to mint whatever form of Bitcoin we have on the chain. They send tens, hundreds of transactions just for your one Bitcoin transaction. We don't do that. There are ways around it on a protocol level. And this is just multiple orders of magnitude faster. And while, yes, I can claim numbers all day and I can just be very proud of myself, what this means is that it's easier to run a node. It's going to be more accessible. It's going to require lower spec hardware. If you want to not run a validator, not have to run a full Bitcoin and a full Ethereum node, you can just run a Sarai node and just keep along with that side of things and do your own validation. 
it's just making the protocol accessible and also able to handle much more trades. And this kind of gets into the distribution comment because yes, there is a new coin. It is, we're not changing that as much as I look in there. So initially, I'm sorry to say it guys, there is a trusted setup. If you want to kick me out now, we can. <laughs> but there's going to be a trusted set of validators to launch a chain. It's a proof of stake chain because the people who put a bond to be in the multi-stake act as validators, so it is proof of stake. And they are initially going to handle the liquidity pools. This is because, I thought I actually had this bullet point next, right here. These validators exist because how else are we gonna start a chain? We need to start a chain with validators. The process of joining, a valid, become, joining the validator set is on chain. If we need to start the chain so people can join the validator set in a trustless fashion, it's a chicken and egg. We have to put the chicken down somewhere. And that's what the initial validators are. But anyone will be able to join it at any time. If you meet the requirements, you can just walk in. We're not whitelisting it, we're not kicking people out. We're just solving a chicken and egg problem. And we're not discussing giving these validators a full bond. Um, there are bond requirements for the network. The validators have to have 150% of the funds in their bond, as the multi-sig itself has, in order to be secure from an economic perspective. And if we give the initial validators 150% of our initial liquidity, yeah, that messes up our economy pretty quickly. That, that centralizes stuff. So no, we're not doing this. This initial set of validators is trusted, so they're going to get a partial bond. And that partial bond, I don't know what numbers we're going to end up with. It could be 10%, it could be 15, I really don't know. Um, it will act as a full bond according to the network. They're already trusted, so it's really not hard. But we're not going to mess with our economy like that, and we're not trying to, you know, have the Luke Parker get rich, get rich quick scheme 2022. No. It's planned to be developers, integration partners, and community leaders. We're not offering this up to PCs. We're not doing an ICO again. We're not going to say, hey Vic, you wanna slide me a few Bitcoin? You wanna be a validator? <laughs> no, we're saying, I, I've been working on this for a few months. I think I can steward the network well. I would like a network. Uh, if you want to work on working with us in integrating into a wallet, into a block explorer, if you want to build tooling around us so we can make a stable network, if you want to represent Sarai within Monero, if you want to represent it within Bitcoin, if you want to bring it to a new community and open up these centralized exchanges, these are the people we want to be validators, people who we can actually trust to work for the network, not just take advantage of it. So when we actually have these initial validators, they'll launch the chain, they'll start producing blocks, and they'll create the first multi-sig. As soon as they do, adding liquidity will be available. This is different from, ex from trading, it's just adding liquidity. And the reason for that is, you have to add both Bitcoin and Sarai's liquidity. There, there's no Sarai in this system, you can't actually add liquidity. So for the Genesis, you will be able to add liquidity, but not Bitcoin and Sarai, it's just going to be adding the Bitcoin side of things. Which is actually my next bullet point. But after a set amount of time, I think we're currently looking at two weeks, we will add surviving pools. So if you had five Bitcoin added, well, in order to create a balanced pool, it's supposed to be five Bitcoin and 10,000 Sarai or whatever the numbers are. So we don't have Sarai and we accept that and we're like, okay, just add the Bitcoin for now. And two weeks later, 
we do add this array and create the symmetric pool, and that's when trading will open. Despite that, users can withdraw whatever. If you want to add 10 Bitcoin, and then it's one day, and you're like, okay, I, I think I put a bit too much. I, I bit the hype train. 10 Bitcoin is a bit much. I like this, but let's be balanced. There's no other real pre-mine discussed. There's not really going to be Sarai out there. And because there's not really going to be Sarai out there, it's kind of someone's job to start buying some Sarai. You guys want to uh, get some Monero from Bitcoin? Because I can do that for you, theoretically. <laughs> and the other note is when we add this array and we create the symmetric pools. We're not taking half the Monero, half the Bitcoin. No, we're just adding the array. And I just really wanted to be clear about that. We're truly not discussing this Genesis event being any form of trading. Or, right, it's just, we're trying to give you guys Sarai and build a community here and get initial liquidity. And it ends up working out for everyone involved. And Monero. It's really what I want to do this next morning. I actually did it because Another project has been working on, I will not name the project immediately, but they have been working on a Monero integration for 1.5 years, or in the words of Justin, a while. Not that I'm naming the project. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I really don't want these people to list Monero. I think they have a legitimate service. I don't think they are the service. I think they're the idea of the service. I don't believe they represent a lot of what Monero does. And I'm like, well, if, they're going to do it for Monero. Well, then Monero users are going to go to the service because it's at least the idea of it. And I either have to compete and I have to prove that they're not truly offering the service and truly offering myself, or I just let Monero get taken advantage of in my eyes. And I decided to build something. I don't so think they're interested. They may not be, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> so Monero truly is a priority. There's a reason I'm at a Monero meetup. There's a reason I haven't been booted off the stage yet. <laughs> I just really love Monero. I don't know how much to say it. I just really love Monero. Um, as far oh, as Sarai, you're back in now. <laughs> as far as Sarai, I actually wrote a full Monero library from scratch in Rust, which I know some members of our crowd will say is Rust cultism, and that it should have still been in C++. And sure, maybe we could have gone in the same performance in C++, but. Rust offers memory safety, and while yes, you can write proper C++ code that's memory safe, Rust, at a language level, offers guarantees. And I appreciate having those guarantees. I appreciate someone else looking out for me when, yes, I've written most of this code. Justin hasn't reviewed most of the PRs I asked him to. Something about him not knowing how to code. Um, <laughs> so, I wrote a Monero library from scratch, not only for the language reasons, but also because the Monero code base is old, and it has a lot of great technology, but I don't believe it has a lot of, I believe it's been added onto, I don't believe it's been moved around as it should have been, as it was added onto. So there's also some design commentary. Uh, I think a lot of Monero developers have some level of frustration with Wallet 2. Wallet 2 being the kind of default Monero wallet that every other wallet inherits from. So right, so we actually just wrote our own library in Rust. And we're like, cool. The language offers memory safety. Uh, this has a better API, in my opinion. I'm kind of saying we, it's really just me in this case. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. And it's another implementation of Monero. And while Justin's saying we don't want 500, having one or two others to verify it's all correct isn't bad. And we're actually no longer reliant on any Monero core code. 
We used to call out to the C++ for some of the heavier cryptography. Nope, we just don't do that anymore. It's now just completely in Rust. And I'm really happy that we have something that's compatible and can say, yeah, the Monero protocol isn't just the C++ code. It's something that multiple implementations agree on. And it starts to create a larger discussion about formalizing Monero, which I appreciate. And then this Rust library, the other reason for it is it extends Frost to apply to Monero. And this was the other reason. Yes, we needed functionality not present in Monero, and we could have forked Monero, we could have edited it, we could have worked with it, but I really just felt it was something to best have under a complete control. Because Monero does have a threshold multi-six scheme, uh, recently had PRs to make it secure. I was a reviewer there, and I actually submitted a new bug. And in my opinion, while it's still labeled experimental, the new Monero multi-six code is secure. So we could have, I could have grabbed that before it was officially merged. I could have had a fork of the wallet and I could have run that. And yes, we could hook up some level of RPC and make it work, but because we're using this core Frost library that all SRI uses, because we're using this core Frost library, we don't have, you know, Bitcoin keys and Ethereum keys are separate. We can just do keys under the scope of Sarai, and we can use them on Bitcoin and Ethereum because they share a curve. The curve being what all these keys, it, it's complicated. Not for today. Um, but with Monero, it uses something called EDU25519, and because we control the cryptography and we just control every layer of the stack, we just have EDU25519 keys. We can use them with Monero. If we wanted to list, um, I really don't know a lot of other coins using EDU25519, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to say Solana and Polkadot, but I don't like them, so I don't want to say them. But sure, if we wanted to list Solana and Polkadot, we could reuse Monero keys and be more efficient there. But if we hooked into the Monero wallet to such a degree, no, the keys would be kind of forever locked to Monero. So we got a more efficient signing protocol, because Monero unfortunately has an adopted trust, and we just got full control of the stack and perfectly tailored for Sorak. And yes, as I was saying, it's more efficient than Monero's included multi-sync algorithm. And to be clear, Monero could adopt Frost. Uh, it actually is a consideration. Co is, Co, uh, Co is a great developer. They're working on Seraphis, which is the next, next hard fork, if all goes well. It's the next major protocol change to Monero, unless we have another hard fork in the meanwhile. And Co is considering Frost, just because it is efficient um, for Monero. And it would be efficient. I'd love to see it. I set up MoneroCon when I gave the talk on multi-sig then. I'd love to see it. But Monero has yet to adopt it. They've been fine so far with their current algorithm. And we're not stuck listening to Monero. We got to say, hey, we want Frost. We're, we're just going to do it. <laughs> Obviously, uh, as much as I love hearing one Monero is worth one Monero, I, wait, did I just skip to the bottom? Oh, no, I'm backwards. Um, as much as I love hearing one Monero is one Monero, Doug, if you want one Monero, if you're one Monero, we can talk. I'll do that all day. I, I think some people want other coins for some reason. Monero isn't good enough, I guess. Um, so we also have Bitcoin. It, it, it's not private, but we have it. Yeah, I, I hear it's the number one by market cap. I, I don't really pay attention to the numbers. Um, we also have Ethereum. I hear Ether's number two. Okay. okay. Um, it's programmable. That's kind of neat. It's not private though, and also like, just a moment of silence for Tornado Cash. <laughs> I'm really not happy about that. 
Whoever's sending 0.1 Ether to all those celebrities right now, they're my hero. <laughs> Um, we're, also we're also looking at USB-C slash die um, as of tornado yesterday. We're no longer considering USB-C, but we still are, but it used to be we were going to list USB-C and die. Now as we are going to list die, it, we'll, we'll take it back to you on the USB-C. The problem is, is if Circle, the company besides USB-C, decides to ban Sarai for whatever reason, could be a company grudge, could be some government request, could be some legal order, it really doesn't matter. If this company decides to ban Sarai, we don't really have a say in that. It's a company taking an action against us. But if you guys come to me saying, hey, I have USDC and Sarai, can I get it out? And I say, no, we're banned. I think I'm gonna get yelled at. I think I'm the one who's gonna get yelled at. Even though it's Circle or whoever who banned us. And by not listing USDC, we just avoid that issue and we avoid the centralization. And we were always going to list DAI because DAI is the decentralized stablecoin to talk about right now. Uh, unless you're one of the new wave people on Frax. But the reason we wanted USDC as well is because from a financial backing perspective, it is rock solid. And I believe DAI is 20 something and USDC is number six, right below USDT if I recall correctly. So USDC just has a much larger market probably play, plays better with a few corporations, not that I care about them too much, but we're revisiting USDC and we're definitely doing that. We're not planning on listing tokens in general. Uniswap is always going to be more efficient, but by listing some stable coin, you can add liquidity for Sarai, but instead of being in Sarai and Bitcoin, two very volatile assets you're providing liquidity for, doing Sarai USD at least gives you a stable asset on one side it makes some level of difference when you add liquidity for what you want. And that's why we just want to have some USD option. We're also considering uh, Litecoin Mwet, not because it's better than Monero, it isn't, it's amount privacy. And it is trustless amount privacy. And I'm happy that Litecoin did something for once after four years of doing nothing. Um, <laughs> but mainly the reasons I want to support it is one, Kind of just as a flex, say we can. <laughs> um, two, Litecoin MWIP, it hasn't been adopted yet. Exchanges don't care to support it. I think one or two exchanges delisted Litecoin, but Litecoin's still a major cryptocurrency with mass adoption. If we can get users to add their funds to the privacy pool, if we can start making coins that come out of the privacy pool, go farther, go wider, become more normal, it may not be Monero-level privacy, we're at least giving them some level. And then, uh, you know, if I mean, like when people want to come over to Monero, that would be an option. <laughs> and this actually is interesting to know. You cannot atomic swap between Litecoin and Web and Monero. You can atomic swap from Litecoin to Monero, but not while keeping both of them private, because atomic swaps do have requirements there. You can argue there's one protocol, but it, it's absolutely not feasible, so. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, which I think may offend one gentleman in the center of the room. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you would be offended. Joking. Okay. Um, I have a friend, uh, Rakhian, who does a lot of statistical work for Monero, and they're anonymous. They're a really great friend of mine, yet I don't know their name. I don't know where they live. 
And yet somehow, if I don't list Bitcoin Cash, I'm pretty sure they will learn where I live and pay me a So Bitcoin Cash is an option. It's also done um, with the original fork, I supported Bitcoin. I thought SegWit represented an innovation, I thought it was still secure, and I thought it represented scaling. And then the issue was is that SegWit did actually double the Bitcoin block size, but only if people did SegWit transactions. And people don't adopt new transaction formats overnight. So I actually like the SegWit2x proposal to double the block size immediately and 4x it if you include SegWit as well. Uh, but that failed. And Bitcoin Cash, they just increased the block size. And I thought, sure, it's getting short-term results and it's scaling vertically, but I thought SegWit represented technological progress and set a better mindset for Bitcoin. And then there was all the influencer drama with Roger Bear, which I don't really care to get into. And uh, Monero.com's been good, but Bitcoin.com has not. So, but Bitcoin has since then, They've added short signatures, they've done their own transaction styles, they're doing work with zero comp payments, which isn't something I personally believe in, but I respect that they're trying to make it useful as currency, and it also has a strong, amount, a large amount of people using uh, CoinJoin. CoinJoin is not private, it's not close to Litecoin Mimblewimble extension blocks, which is what MWeb is short for, it's, which isn't close to Monero. But the people there do care about currency and do care about privacy, and. I want to build bridges between these people. I want them to decide where they want to be and, and bring them to Monero. <laughs> uh, Fira was another candidate. Fira is actually interesting because they used to be Zcoin back in the day with Zerocoin, which I believe had a trusted setup. I'd actually have to double check if it's only Zcash or Zerocash is the protocol is normally known as. But Zerocoin was absolutely broken. And there's, a very, there's multiple very fascinating papers on it. And they ended up rebranding to Firo, and they're launching a new privacy protocol, and that's why I'm interested in it. It's called Lulantis Spark, and Monero is moving to Seraphis in the future. And with Seraphis, we're looking at increasing the rate size to 128. Not 11, not 16, 128. And we're looking at much more modular transactions with a lot more features that can be upgraded much more in the future. Fira is kind of doing that now, and I hate to admit it, but they also have their own protocol, which is very comparable. I kind of see Lelantis Spark and Seraphis as cousins, and while well, I think Monero should win because Fira is optional privacy, which does not work, I really respect the work Fira has done in moving from zero coin, which failed, to create a very formal protocol with a lot of strengths comparable to Monero's own work, and I want to support privacy wherever I can. Uh, and then we're also considering Arbitrum. I, I, I don't like paying $50 to send either. And Arbitrum's just my preferred layer chip. And it would reduce fees. And it inherits the trust assumptions from the layer one. Theoretically, there's conditions there. So, yeah, we're not just considering, you know, this very list of privacy coins. We're not just considering Bitcoin forks, even though Arbitrum's arguably an Ethereum fork. <laughs> we're also considering just ways we can make things fly better. And if any of you want to suggest the coin, honestly, you're open to talk about it. Uh, kind of wrapping up here, we just had a few other points of interest. Uh, this is a bit verbose, I know, but atomic swaps, they rely on cryptographic proof for Bitcoin Monero specifically. And this is why we thought Monero couldn't have atomic swaps, and it was this proof which let us do it. It's called a cross-group cross discrete log equality proof. 
So, uh, I have a friend who implemented one into ASMR, my atomic swap implementation from back in the day. And unfortunately, we never did a video. But we were asked to do a ASMR video explaining it. Unfortunately, we never got to it. So, so, I moved that proof into its own library and I cleaned it up because I wanted the goal to be all atomic swap protocols just use this library. Not because they have to, but because we were all re-implementing it. And I don't mind that. I don't mind multiple people working on a specification. That's how you verify it. Because some people may say, here's the spec, here's the implementation. Someone else may say, hey, I noticed you didn't actually implement it. That happened with Frost. I pointed out, hi, your implementation doesn't match your docs, but I was working on my own implementation. I also wasted two hours trying to figure that out. But So I wanted to offer this library, not necessarily to force people to use it, but to define a point of reference for what it should be. And that sat around for like a year, and then I decided to redo it and make it much cleaner and much better and also much more efficient. I think we saved about 40% of the proof size. And the proof size is tens of kilobytes, it's insane. So we saved a lot of data. If you ever wanted to do a swap from a phone, like that actually may become notable. And it's hosted under Sarai. Not that Sarai has benefit under it, but I, I control the GitHub. I get to decide what goes there. And I wanted to ensure that it's always supported. If it's on my personal GitHub and I die tomorrow, okay, bye all. If it's on the Sarai GitHub and Sarai becomes a successful project, someone's responsible for it. And I just wanted to contribute back to Atomic Swamps, which I do respect. Uh, the Monero integration, as I said, it's a full Monero transaction library. Uh, Dangerous Freedom, really great community member, currently funded by the community crowdfunding system. Unfortunately not magic. But currently funded by the CCS to verify Monero. We have a lot of cryptography to keep things private. But because it's private, we can't see balances. We can't just add up all the outputs and make sure that our supply is under 18 million. And that big doesn't actually have 20 million Monero like he keeps claiming. Um, so there's a lot of cryptography there. And we can say, yeah, we have security proofs for this cryptography. We can say bulletproofs have been reviewed for years and multiple variations. We can say bulletproofs. But then there's the question, what if all our theory is correct? But somewhere, there's just one line of code that's wrong. So, Dangerous Freedom said, I want to take the papers, I want to take Python, and I want to re-implement Monero, and I want to verify how things are done. And they have done a great job at it, and I really respect it, because honestly, I'm not saying 500 implementations, I am saying two or three for Monero. And I'd love to see it. Um, but when they got to Bulletproofs, they kind of realized Python is slow. It's a scripted language. They weren't using efficient operations. It's Python. And I said, hi, you know, I, I have a Monero library. It does full transactions if you want to uh, contribute some code, do my verification code, you can use it. And they said, sure. They contributed Bulletproof verification. And now our, the Monero library is being used to scan Monero and look for oddities that weren't previously known. And by finding oddities, we can find breaks. That's the principle. We also have our Frost library, which I talked a bit earlier about controlling the full stack and all the pieces. It's incredibly generic. Uh, Bitcoin uses a curve, SCCP 256K1, Monero uses VD25519. Yeah, now this library doesn't count. It just gives you signatures. Oh, did you say Schnorr signatures? We got that. Did you say classical Schnorr signatures? Because in the, eight, the 80s or 90s, Schnorr defined it differently. Yep, we also got that. Did you say Monero CL stack? Yep, 
We also got that. And I've also contributed a bit to that draft specification. And the library is acknowledged by the people working on the draft. So I'm actually really happy with that. And then finally, we're also just contributing to the Rust ecosystem in general, which probably isn't of interest to most of you, but something I'm personally proud of. They have generic libraries for dealing with elliptic curves, which is what all cryptocurrencies are based on mainly. Technically not, it, it's a long story. But we've just been contributing further tooling and growing out the ecosystem a bit more. So it's, and the Frost library is actually an example of that. If it's now in the Rust cryptography ecosystem, you can grab the library and you can use Schnorr signatures wherever you want. I actually think that's it. If anyone has any questions. looking at having multiple validator sets 
which I'm going to add an asterisk to in a second. But the asterisk says, with multiple validator sets, even if one validator set is compromised and with them they're multi-sig, we can move the Sarai over to the other pools to purchase other external assets that weren't compromised and then use that to reacquire the original assets. But what if all of them are compromised? Well, then Sarai goes to the moon before it comes crashing down. And there's kind of a comment only so much I can do here. But, sure. What algorithm? You said it was proof of work. What algorithm? Proof of stake. Oh, it's proof of stake. Yeah. And the validators who form the multi-stake have to put up a bond. So it makes the most sense not to also spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on mining equipment, but just have them take turns. So the only way to get it is to buy it. So there's going to be the initial genesis event, which has a sort of airdrop. There's going to be, if you provide liquidity, that is going to have some sort of incentivization. Then there's going to be the nodes and running a node. But yes, you have to have a node to do that. And then finally, we are looking at a DAO structure, potentially preceded. So if you do work, you can get paid into Ryan start shifting that. So there's going to be a few angles, but yes, we, we do live under capitalism with an economy. We have other questions, but then I will get back to you with the notebook, yes. I wanted to ask about the uh, running a node or a validator and um, providing LP, the mm -hmm. LP provider. Would you ask, um, or is there like idea to have a GUI, like the Monero node, where as an interface is not just raw code, to be the validator? Right, so, for a validator, I'm not sure we're going to be discussing a GUI because a validator, it's, from a pure theoretical perspective, a bond is going to be worth a significant amount. It's not something that you walk in with $10 and get. It's going to be a more notable amount. And due to the fact that the node has to remain online, it has to have its private keys backed up when they're generated, it's not going to require hiring some nerd to sit in a closet and stare at it 24-7, but it is going to require someone who can set it up, watch it, maintain it, ensure that it's not taking in random web requests. Because even if we make a secure node, if you don't secure the computer, it doesn't matter. So because it's a technical job, we're probably not going to try to overtly simplify it. We'll probably have scripts to make people's lives easier. We don't want you know, sysadmins to spend hours reverse engineering it, but it is going to be a more technical role that if you just have money and want to run a node, you may need to hire a contractor or part time staff. Right. And but, second, second question about um, if you're providing liquidity and the bonding of the two, like XMR and SRI, is there also a permanent loss and like that whole equation Sure, and then a question from the gentleman in front of you. Regarding, um, yeah, uh, you, you have to ring from this. Okay. <laughs> I just don't want people to keep holding their hands up. I get inspired. So, regarding impermanent loss, um, in my view, it's always a bark is bigger than the bite scenario. A lot of people love talking about impermanent loss, and I barely, but technically somewhat, respect the discussion. Um, but most users who clamor for impermanent loss, I do respect their goals. They want to minimize risk and they want to ensure users are protected and I also want to protect users. But I now from a practical standpoint, users don't actually care if there's an permanent loss or not. There are plenty of protocols without it that get along fine. We can point at Uniswap, we can point at Osmosis, we can point at them. So if you're saying what's your minimum viable product, which I do have to consider. So Ryan hasn't launched yet, I, I don't have millions yet. 
And when Sarai launches, I, I may not still have millions then. Where it turns out, for some reason, I did take a 50% free mine. We, we have to get back to that. Um, but because of that, it's not making the minimal feature step. And the other issue is that it's parasitical to the host. If we talk about Bancor, Bancor offered impermanent loss, and then they just turned it off because their coin was going to zero. Because these coins subsidize impermanent loss by generally minting or releasing their own coin. So while I do believe, if theoretically there's some model which is beneficial, you know, you can say, yes, it harms Sarai, the coin, but it benefits the Sarai community, therefore we should adopt it. It's not a discussion I have the bandwidth for now, and it doesn't meet the minimum viable feature set, and as much as users like talking about it, it's not something they're demanding. Um, so, uh, my understanding is that uh, you will be implementing municipal P2 like custom product market uh, for liquidity tools. Uh, is that going to be implemented on uh, the core uh, network level, or there will be some kind of smart contract runtime with upgradable smart contracts? So, this is actually a very interesting question, and I'm debating how much I want to comment on this right now. Um, we're building, we're building the node itself in Substrate. And Substrate gives you a lot of the blockchain framework, and we are modifying a lot of Substrate. It does a lot of things wrong. I have my regrets in life. Unfortunately, this is not one of them. Overall, it's been a net positive because it means that I don't have to spend three and a half years writing a blockchain. I've done that once before, I don't care to do it again. And it means we get off and running. So with Substrate, yes, we can literally just define tokens, decks, consensus, call it a day. And then anytime anyone wants to implement a new feature, we have to talk about how it's a consensus upgrade that hooks into all these pieces. Oh, and you're writing substrate pallets, so you get the WebAssembly Rust experience, not the native Rust experience. And by the way, they change their API every once in a while. So it creates a series of documentation issues, it creates a series of maintenance problems. And when I was designing this, yeah, I kind of just said, what if we just throw a smart contract runtime on there? Because smart contracts have test suites. They're standardized and they don't change. It means that it technically isn't part of consensus. So I actually did want to grab a smart contract from time. Partially because smart contracts are cool and it would enable a lot more flexible constructions in the future. Partially just because why should I develop substrate? Why should I spend all this time with this ecosystem filling out its tooling, learning its quirks, when I can revert to something I know that will have years of existing tooling. Why should I use this experimental area? So between really just the tooling and then OSO, yes, there's a lot we could do if we go the smart contracts route regarding composability, exact flow of funds through the system, launching of new apps. I do believe we'll likely have a smart contract layer, but there's been some recent issues with deciding which one, so I'm not finalized on that. Uh, what blockchain is the Sarai token going to live on? Uh, it will live on its own blockchain, which is an instantiation of Substrate. And by instantiation, I mean, we took the Substrate codebase, it's available as a library, and we built our app around it. It's not like, oh, we forked Ethereum to create a layer two. It's, no, it's a fully owned blockchain. I really don't care to connect to anyone else as a layer two or so on. It's just, yeah. 
So if you're offering an alternative to BISC and BISC is offering an exchange for fiat, are you also considering offering an exchange for fiat? So one of the priorities we want to offer is security, and there's absolutely no way for us to secure fiat trades. If you want to secure fiat trades, you're doing a trusted hold'em, or a, we both enter a multi-stage where we both are participants of the trade, and then it falls back to a trusted group like the BISC down. So there's no way for us to effectively secure that, so it's something I'm happy to leave to FISC or have an with day launch or whoever else. Do you help? I was just wondering, you just mentioned have Yes. Any integration theories on that? Uh, at this time, we're not really discussing integrating exchange to exchange. We do have discussions about Sarai to Uniswap in that you can trade Monero for Ether, and when the Ether leaves the ride to an Ethereum address, you can specify Uniswap to further trade it. But we're not discussing anything like that for a network level, like have it on Monero to survive for Litecoin if we list Litecoin. I saw on Monerotopia that uh, you spoke about the integration with Cake Wallet that uh, mm -hmm. you, uh, people with Cake Wallet will be able to provide liquidity. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah. Vic, do you want to take this one or should I speak on your behalf? I don't, I don't think you mentioned it in your presentation, right? So, um, as apparently now an authorized speaker for Cake Wallet, my favorite <laughs> of this administration. <laughs> so, what I believe. The app will look like, I'm sure Justin will give me the death glare if I start getting this wrong. Um, what I believe it is, it's just like you can uh, swipe over the gift cards now, and if you click gift cards, it starts, then it starts grabbing the gift card data. I believe it will be similar for Sarai. You'll be able to switch over to Sarai, click on it, and if you opt into that ecosystem, it will give you an explainer about what it is. We're not trying to get people to throw in their Monero, not understand that they're also getting involved with Sarai, not understanding, hi, it's a pool, trades can happen, impermanent loss. Like we, it's not going to be a 30 minute required course with the test at the end, but we do want to clearly present, yes, it's a new economic system, yes, there are these risks. Have a basic understanding, hit agree. Then it would connect, and it would from there, act more like a standard wallet. It would say, hi, you have five Monero in your cake wallet. Would you like to add liquidity? Doing so requires Sarai. If you want, you could also trade for Sarai as you add liquidity. We'd say, yes, I'd like to add two Monero. And we'll be like, great. One Monero will be swapped for 150 Sarai, one Sarai, whatever the prices are. And then we'll be added to the pool. Doing so will create a account on Sarai using the same seed as Monero, hopefully. You, you better have developers good enough to do so. I, I can submit a PR otherwise. We're, we're, we're cool, Justin. I'll help you. Um, but yeah, should just say, great, we'll make an account for you. And if you want to withdraw your liquidity, you can do so at any time but you'll have to swap this arrive back to Monero if you want to do that. Or if we're discussing at launch and Genesis, no, no, we'll just take your Monero and airdrop you this around. It'll cool. Sounds simple, I wonder what the UX is going to look like. We'll try to make it as simple as possible. Yeah, no, it's really awesome. Cake is all about user experience, so yeah. We'll, yeah. We spend a lot, a lot of time on UI, redoing UI, having test to testers, so hopefully it'll be good. Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll do our best. Yeah, I'm yeah. Justin, how fast can you start sketching on graph paper, complete mock-ups? Like, just in real time. Hey, we have to wait a few hours and take months. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, yes, you still have some. <laughs> huh? So, uh, 
Wait, you have you have this new coin coming out, right? It needs nodes just like any networks to to survive. Let's see, what's your incentivization mechanism to incentivize more nodes? So run these nodes. The validators they're not called they're not called validators because they validate Bitcoin transactions, so you can argue they do. They're called validators because according to the Sarai blockchain, they produce and validate blocks and ensure that BFT consensus is being respected. So the nodes that maintain the blockchain, produce blocks and ensure it continues, are the same ones who are financially bonded, where if they walk away, yeah, they would lose their money. <laughs> so there is kind of the uh, stick there, but there's also the carrot in that nodes actively earn a block reward. So, so what, what did you want to incentive, like incentivize more nodes so that it becomes a little more distributed and a little more anonymous? So, I mean, who, these bonds are, are, all, are paying how many nodes specifically? Does everybody know? It would be a share of the block reward. So if the block reward is valued significantly enough, it makes sense to add another node and cause lower shares, but that lower share is still profitable for you. So how many nodes are there? Uh, my personal targets are going to be initially 150 with, as in 150, not on week one, but a year in, I would like to see us have 150 nodes. At the very launch for the trusted setup, I'd like to have 11, and within two to three years, I'd like to start talking three to 500. You know there's a project out there, just like this, that has solved this incentivization problem, and has more nodes than Litecoin today. Would you like to name that project? No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. We, we can talk after if you want. Okay. And that's actually a legitimate offer. I'm interested in that. Okay. Yes? Um, do you have any comments on the emission function? So the emission function has a few aspects. We're considering a emission curve somewhat comparable to Monero in that we are planning a tail emission, always keep words available. Um, in the future, we might also look into burning mechanics and making it better. But right now, we're trying to keep it simple, tail emission. There is going to be a three-way split of the block order. There's going to be the DAO if we go that route. If we don't, it won't exist. It's not if we don't, oh, I make more money today. It's not the DAO or we don't have the DAO. Then there's the nodes, and then finally we're incentivizing the liquidity pools. The liquidity pools and the nodes will be on a pivot. So if we have a lot of bonds available, then we'll incentivize the liquidity pools and get more people to provide liquidity and utilize that bond. And if we're utilizing liquidity, then we need more bond, we'll flip the rewards back the other way and try to get more people to become nodes. Any more questions? Yeah? Oh, good. There's a lot of questions apparently. Yeah. All right. Because there's going to be a tail emission, it is not a cap supply. It's going to be like an arrow in that regard. Um, we haven't worked out the exact curve yet. And then, okay, that was a follow-up question. Is, sure. Is the same answer, is there any mechanism for offering the emissions on the Substrate itself has technological comments. Um, substrate technically has the runtime available as WebAssembly, which means that you can run nodes, you can run it as native code and get all that performance, but if the network upgrades, it can do the upgrade as WebAssembly, which is kind of like JavaScript, but much faster for a very simple definition for everyone here. And the advantage of that is we can define a process to upgrade the network. 
that can mean adding a new functionality, that can mean adding a new coin, that can mean changing the emission schedule. And if we get the voting process, however it's defined, which itself could be changed under this, all nodes would be able to update. We're not going to have to say, hey guys, download a new app, it's available, you know, three weeks from now, everyone has to upgrade. No, we can define a process to on-chain upgrade the protocol and just applies to everyone under the rules that whatever it takes to get applied. It could be a downvote. We could go for the traditional hard forks. So we're not planning on missions being too dynamic, but we are planning on one, the DAO being able to do select distributions as needed, and then two, technically, yes, we can upgrade the entire chain. You know, I, I've heard of... Uh, one of these, one of these uh, DEXs recently, they got pushed an upgrade or something like that, and the whole thing just went kaput. Like, you just lost everything. Right. That would have been osmosis to, uh, you could have a putting you two and then withdraw and twist it. Yeah, and, and then there's also the, 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 the DDoSing of proof uh, of stake. I know of DDoSing proof of stake dating back to the Bitcoin era. I don't remember it being as much of an issue with modern day proof of stake. Is there a question here? No, it's just an important point to concern. Like if, I was, if I was to provide like my liquidity. Sure. Okay. So there actually is denial of service concerns with consensus. Um, there's this one protocol called Tendermint used by Cosmos. And if Doug, Vic, Vic, you've been my scapegoat this entire night. I'm so sorry for that. But I'm here for you. If we have Doug, and Vic, and myself be three validators, Tendermint says, okay, it's Doug's turn. Okay, it's Vic's turn. Okay, it's my turn. Okay, it's Doug's turn. So you do have a denial of service concern in that you denial of service Doug, and you switch to Vic, and you do me, and you only have to run one node at a time to knock them out. Um, but there are other algorithms. Substrate prefers one called Babe for block production. And Babe uses multiple people at a time with a verifiable random function where some amount of people are selected to produce a block, but only those people actually know it at any given moment. So there is some very interesting cryptography you can do where it reverts back to having to DDoS the entire network of validators. So when we discuss tens to hundreds of nodes, it's not a primary concern of mine. Yeah, there, there's an interesting project that I got a lot of liquidity on. It's uh, decentralized thing, but it's in uh, BSD. In the, it's in the blockchain, it's running in the blockchain, it's running layer one. And, uh, it's, it's interesting, but uh, you probably, if I showed it to you, you'd probably figure it out better than I can. So, <laughs> like demand. But uh, we'll talk after this. Sure. Anyone else? But I am happy to just answer questions more, you know, actually talking afterwards. I don't really need to hold you all night.
Thanks to the dogs. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Our co-host uh, and uh, co-organizer for this meetup, Mayor Talk and Mayor Topia, Doug and Sunita, and Sunita Randall. Um, you guys hear enough from me, so I'm not going to say a lot. Just want to thank Vic and Justin for making this all happen. This was, this was huge. So, major, major thank you to Vic, guys. He's been a, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he's been a major utility in the Monero ecosystem, a major funder of, you know, various projects. Uh, Monero wouldn't be what it is today without Cake Wallet and without the guy behind Cake Wallet, which is Vic. So, tremendous, tremendous thank you, Vic. Seriously. Uh, second thing I want to bring up, Monerotopia, we did the last one in Miami. We're, you know, we're trying to figure out what we want to do the next one. We're thinking actually New York City. Uh, just by show of hands, and people being interested in that? All right, okay. Yeah, I'm a little apprehensive about the New York thing. I'm not sure which way to go. Uh, Sunita's walking in. Um, We've been, we've been trying to figure it out. We're leaning uh, you know, between New York, Miami again, potential for Mexico. What do you guys think of Mexico? Is it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? What do you think of Miami again? All right. I'm, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. I mean, we are in New York, so I, I would expect nothing less. So I just wanted to get feedback on that. If anybody wants to help out for the next Monerotopia in New York, please come up to me and Sunita. Uh, we can connect with you or join the Monerotopia Telegram group. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Done that tremendous work uh, getting Monero out there online and physically. Monero, uh, Doug and Sunita are at conferences, giving Monero away to people, having them use Cake Wallet, or whatever wallet of their choice, actually. So thank you. You guys are driving Monero usage. Um, you probably have more questions. Hang out. We don't have to leave now. There's pizza, there's beer, there's wine. You know, talk to everyone here. There's a lot of brilliant Monero, sorry. I hear there was some vodka as well. Vodka as well. Yeah, I really want some party tonight. But in this room, there's some um, brilliant Monero minds here. Uh, some Monero contributors. I don't want to dox them and point them out. But if you have questions, talk to people. If you want to talk about the four, talk about Cake Wallet. You know, we don't have to have this type of thing. We can just do one on one. So thanks for coming. Uh, and you don't have to leave. But thanks for the support. Thanks for coming. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to monerotalk.live to subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we are always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.